1: We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share
0: tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 289 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis, here as always with Sarah Powers. Hello, Sarah.
1: Hello, Megan. Happy December.
0: Happy December to you. Um, this is exciting because not only are we kicking off a brand new month and really diving into the holiday season, but we have part two of one of our, what is it like quarterly that we do these? Yeah. Quarterly-ish. Quarterly-ish. <laughs> I love when we add an ish onto something. So it gives us a little flexibility, but we, we do listener questions. Usually we do them in a one-two punch. So we'll do two episodes right in a row where we take four or five questions from listeners. Um, that come in over email, or sometimes they come in over um, Instagram, or people will record their voices and send them to us. And they're all over the place. I love listener questions because we get to cover such a wide variety of topics. And this is our second installation in this quarter's listener question
1: episode. Duo. The final one of the year, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Unless more questions like that are so burning come in, in the next two weeks that we have to answer them.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to promise we have every episode in December planned out. So no promises. Maybe there will be what? surprise. Surprise.
0: <laughs> what if we just did listener questions forever? Because yeah. we just didn't have anything else planned. I actually would love that because they're some of my favorite episodes. Um, so yeah, we'll be taking those. And actually, I don't think any of them are holiday related. No, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. And and in the past, if you're interested, um, we'll link up, we always link up our past ones. We've definitely more than once, I think twice done like full holiday edition listener questions. And that's Mm -hmm. really fun, but there's just plenty of parenting that's year round. It doesn't matter that we're heading into the holidays. And, and many of these are not COVID related either. It's just like the, the, I don't know. The wheel of parenting time keeps on turning and people still need help with very evergreen topics all the time. They sure do.
0: Well, before we get into those listener questions, I also wanted to mention that I am planning and actually launching today a 25 day pep talk series for moms. It's going to take place on our blog, which I feel like is a little neglected. I mean, Sarah, you and I are both writers. That's what we are. That's Mm -hmm. what we, that's our background. Um, And our blog doesn't get as much love as we would like. And I think I just was looking for some way to kind of create some discipline around writing for me and also share some stuff because this is my 24th holiday as a mom. Oh, my gosh. So can you believe that 24th holiday season? um, Because Jacob is 23. And so he when he was zero, I still had (laughs) a holiday with him. And so, man, over the years, I've really accumulated quite a lot of, you know, I'm going to say wisdom, but also just reality perspective, and uh, perspective. Yes, so these are just going to be a quick e- everyday, a quick, easy to read, um, you know, very digestible pep talk about what your experience as a mom might be like during the holiday season, and just to kind of get you in that mood. I'm going to share some things that are going on in my house. I might share a peek at a project I'm working on, or maybe like some looks at things that have gone astray from all my best laid plans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important that at this time of year, we all see real COVID holiday mom life happening yeah. in real time, in real life. And I think that that can be hard to get sometimes from from Instagram and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's a way, just another, another way to reach all you and maybe fill in some gaps between episodes.
1: Yeah. I love this so much, and I've I've had good luck when I've stuck to some kind of a daily ritual or some kind of a countdown. Yeah. I think it can be um, a way, like you said, to hold yourself accountable for documenting and writing. And I think you'll be so glad mm-hmm. that you did that during this very COVID Christmas season, holiday season. Um, so we'll make sure in the show notes to link up the blog. It's just the momhourcom dot com slash blog. I mean, it's it's all part of our website. And then we'll try to um, find some creative ways to. Uh, share those blog posts on social as well. Although I hope people pop over and read them in their in their natural habitat. Do we yes, say? me too. So look for that starting today, December first. Does it kick off today?
0: Yes, it starts today. Yep.
1: Okay. Okay. We're going to get into our questions. And actually the very first question that I wanted to kind of spotlight is one that we keep getting mostly in our Instagram DMs, but we've got it from several of you, many of you actually over the last few months. And it's more of a behind the scenes logistical question that I thought would be worth talking about on the show. And that is Megan and Sarah, why can I not listen to episode one in Apple podcasts or on Stitcher or in Spotify or anywhere? So just um, to bring you behind the curtain a little bit, um, our podcast has been going for we're coming up closer to six years than five. It'll be six years in March. Um, Of course, with our numbered episodes, our Tuesdays, we're on 289. So that's why you heard us say this is episode 289. But as you know, if you're a regular listener, we do interviews once a month. We do our more than moms. We've had lots of special bonuses and series over the years. So we actually have I haven't looked, but it's close to 400, I think. That's what I always tell people. That sounds about. Actually, rings. it might I mean, be more look- than 400. But anyway, there is a number. And the important number is it's <laughs> there more, is a number. <laughs> it's more than 300. <laughs> and I'll tell you why that's important. Yeah. it's It's been more than 300 for quite a while, even though our, our Tuesdays are at 289. Because the podcast providers and the um, the podcast media hosting server people don't want your feed to get larger than 300 episodes. So they set limits. It's either, it's either a provider limit um, from Apple or Spotify, or often it's a limit um, decided for you by your podcast host or one or both, but it's generally not more than 300. And so we don't have a way to have our entire archives in, in the distributors anymore. And that's been probably for over a year. I think that's been the reality, but we're getting more questions about it now, just because there are actually so many episodes, I think over a hundred mm. episodes that you can't listen to no matter which platform you choose. So good question, everyone. I have a couple of solutions for you. Um, If you like to listen on your phone rather than in a computer browser, and I think that's probably the case for many people, you can still do this. Um, But if you go to themomhour.com slash archives and just type it in on a phone or computer browser, it's one big long list of our episodes from the most recent at the top. And you just scroll. It's one page. You don't even have to do that annoying like next page, next page. It's one super long laundry list that will take you all the way back to episode one at the bottom. And each of those links links out to the show notes. And so um, from our website, you can listen to any episode from our archives. Um, and that the slash archives is a good place to just bookmark. And then I know we have people who really do like to listen from the beginning, or maybe you're not going for that. Maybe you don't need to listen to every episode ever from the beginning, but You've heard us talk about one that's no longer available in the distributor. So that is a handy little page. I will link it up in the show notes. Um, and then if you happen to know what episode you're going for, most of our show notes are just easy to find at themomhour.com slash the number. So if it were episode 82, it would be themomhour.com slash 82. So that's kind of an easy shortcut too, if you happen to know what you're looking for. But our website is, it's the search functionality is pretty good. The way it's organized um, people, you know, people compliment us on it. So you should be able to find what you're looking and all of them can be listened to from the website. There's just a little media player and you hit play. So you can listen to those earlier episodes, but it's not our fault that they're not readily available. It's not our fault.
0: It's the big, bad, you know, tech people We're that too are making old, it that way. basically. But I was just, I was just kind of following along with your directions, Sarah, because you know that I can be a little tech, um, stubborn at times and not wanting to try new things, but I'm really I just, you know, when I did that, I skipped right to 70, page 73, which is our very first page of archives that took me all the way back to the beginning. And I'm looking at Betty Draper smoking a cigarette and having a glass of wine uh, on episode two. What, what kind of role model are you? (laughs) Just made me laugh. Like. It seems so long ago now. Isn't it funny? We're rewatching it is. It is so Mad Men
1: in real time. Yeah. And we were probably watching yes. Mad Men the original time. I'm sure we were then. Yep. Oh my gosh. So funny. Okay. So that was a little different type of question, not a parenting question, but still one that we get quite a bit and wanted to just, you know, answer for you all. but I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair.
0: Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor Haya is back on the show today, and I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered chewable vitamin, was created.
1: That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the Haya vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one.
0: Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash momhour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so our first question comes from Laurel, and I think this is something like every mom almost unless you live off the grid somewhere (laughs) so much that you don't even know that we're in a pandemic. Um, We can all relate. So here's her question. My four and a half year old has unfortunately gotten used to more screen time in the pandemic. Sometimes I worry he's obsessed and I'm not regulating things well enough. How do you keep them interested in other things?
1: Well, yes, Laurel, you are every mom. So I think that's part of what we try to do here in these listener questions is just let you know that you're not alone. And especially in the pandemic year, I think screens are really tricky because I, for one, don't want any mom to feel guilty for using video games, iPads, TV shows, movies as a, as a survival strategy. We're talking about moms are working from home while their small children are climbing all over them. Like these are not normal times. No. So so no guilt. However, I do relate to this kind of, uh, this, this tricky thing that happens where kids behavior and just the general family dynamic can get kind of stuck and yucky when there's not expectations around screen time. So I can relate to both, but I hope first of all, that Laurel don't make yourself feel guilty just for the pure fact that you have more screens than normal, than a normal year, because that is totally okay. But if what you're saying is you feel like it's a little out of control or you feel like it's not super healthy for your relationship or the kid, then I understand that. And I think I can, you know, maybe offer a couple ideas. Um, let me just first say that with my three kids, there's one child who responds to screen time very, very differently, and that is Reed. There's no secret. Um it be it presents much more like an addictive behavior for him, which means if he knows um he's going to have some time to play video games later, he'll kind of be antsy and a little irritable until it happens. And then after it happens, it's like, He's having trouble like re um, reengaging with the world. I will say those things have gotten better as he's gotten older, but they really that um that unique presentation of a screen relationship for him is the same whether he gets very little or a lot. It's really just mm. like it's kind of how he is built. And so when she asks, how do you keep them interested in other things, I think if you have a really especially with video games for read TV and movies less so. But if you have a really um, addiction prone kid with screens, they may never really like be genuinely excited about going on a nature walk or like yep. playing a board game, because if that's what they want, that is going to be what they want. Now, I'm not saying throw up your hands and give up, but maybe just recognize that it may be the most exciting thing for him, and he may have a little trouble engaging with other things. It doesn't mean you stop trying, and it doesn't mean you don't put some bumpers or some, some boundaries in place. I guess the like, I could probably talk for a long time, but the single biggest thing that has helped our family is very clear expectations for when when the video gaming can happen um and how much time there will be and i know megan that you have spoken very eloquently on why a more flexible approach has worked for you guys so this is not the only way but for my kid knowing when and how much um has been really helpful and i can i can tailor that to suit my own needs as a mom so even this we're recording this thanksgiving week and i knew my kids would be asking like are we can we be on our iPads during thanksgiving week because they don't have school And so I just set Thanksgiving week rules. They're not the same rules as last week or when we're in school. And when we're on, you know, summer vacation, it usually looks different. But um, my kids really benefit from knowing what to expect. And then um, and then with me sticking to it and the sticking to it, obviously, is really hard when you have little kids and they're asking one more show, one more time, 10 more minutes. So I would just say set something realistic that you can stick to, you know, don't aspire. It's kind of like you're like aspiring to cook a wholesome, like beautiful dinner every night and then feeling bad when you can't achieve it, like set realistic, set realistic boundaries for screens for yourself and your kids. So you can feel really good about sticking to them. And then, and then, you know, then you got to hold firm. So anyway, that's my, my quickie.
0: Well, I will second, um, both things. First of all, that there is no guilt here. And, and another thing to keep in mind, um, and I know that Owen, my almost 15 year old and Reed, I think are, have a lot in common Mm -hmm. that way, but Owen's just years older right um but for the for them video gaming isn't just a pastime or a hobby but it's also right now often the way that kids are socializing so I do limit but right now in particular I just don't have the heart to be super rigid because they're getting more than one thing out of it it's not Mm -hmm. just passive entertainment often um or it's not just a way to fill their time but often it's also where they're making or um extending or deepening friendships and that looks a little weird to me because that's not in any way, the way I form or deepen friendships, but it it's valid for them, mm-hmm. you know. So I try to keep that in mind. And just to um, back, you know, to just kind of back up what Sarah said, that like Owen will do whatever I ask. He's old enough now that he'll go along. He's very easygoing and he'll go along with whatever. If I say, "Hey, let's go on a nature walk," or "Hey, let's go hang out at a friend's house and not, you know, we're not gonna do any screens or whatever." He's kind of like, oh, OK, and he'll go and then he'll even say afterwards sometimes like, oh, that was fun. But he still wants to get right back on the game. It's right. not that that like the, the the link to the game was not broken during that time. He didn't learn to prefer trees. Right. He just ex- <laughs> he just accept he accepted the trees uh-huh. like on our camping trips. Like he accepts that for a week there won't be any video gaming and maybe he'll get a little bit of like a couple bars on his phone and he can play some dumb phone game or something, maybe for like an hour at night in the tent. I mean, it's always funny to watch him try to make that happen <laughs> when I'm like, okay, it's time you get on your phone. And he's like going through all these like gymnastics, trying to find signal. And, it, but he still, he'd still rather be gaming. Yeah. He's okay with trees, but yeah. you know, he still wants the games. Yeah. Um, so I think that is very true too. And then to your point, Sarah, you're right that I've always taken, well, I've lately taken a more relaxed approach where I'm more about protecting time that I don't want screens than I am saying when the screens are okay. So it's kind of like Mm -hmm. a backward approach. But I think for younger kids that can be really difficult because part of the agreement that goes along with that, like what the acceptance has to be on the kids. um, So for the kid, they have to accept that I'm going to not really say when you can use the screen or when you can be on the game, I'm going to say when you can't and the window is going to be relatively short. But That means that if something comes up that I feel is more important, Mm -hmm. that supersedes the game or the Mm -hmm. screen. And for a 14 year old, that that works because they're old enough. They have enough experience to know that when they get home later, they'll still get to play. Yeah. Or that maybe the next day I'll give them a little more time or whatever. Like, but a kid who's younger, a seven year old or a four year old, Mm -hmm. they're not going to they're going to be like, what do you mean? I can't play. This is the time you said. Right was okay. And then if you change it, so I would almost at that age be more in favor, especially if it's a super tech obsessed kid with being more clear about when they can and not just when they can't. And I, I just think that's something that they can grow into the approach I have, but at four, it probably wouldn't have worked for either of my really internet yeah. Kind of addicted kids. Yeah. A validation and a caveat, I suppose.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's huge. And four and a half is still really young. I was thinking about Reed back in those days and I did notice a correlation between the time spent on a screen and then almost this Ill- inability to play by himself or to or to even play with his sisters or to like find enjoyment in life. And again, that's like an addict, like an addiction a hallmark. I think like he couldn't find (laughs) meaning and joy in other things when he was really wrapped up in a game. So, um, that I feel like has gotten better with age. Like he now can step away and, and trust that there are other fun things in life and he will be okay till he gets his next fix. to use the analogy. So, yep. Okay. What's up next? Okay. This is a fun one. Elise said, help me. She said in all capital letters, help me with my kids' socks. I have never yet in my five years of motherhood been able to pair up all of the tiny socks that come out of the dryer, I assume. I, I'm pretty sure they all go in, but what happens in there? Tips on keeping them together or some type of system so I am not constantly overrun by socks with no mates. Megan, why do I feel like you have much to oh, say about my this? Gosh. <laughs> well, five okay. kids. Hashtag five kids.
0: Elise, I'm really sorry to have <laughs> to break this to you, but if I were you, I would just give up now. <laughs> It's not happening. Um, okay. So for a while when I had lots of little kid socks, I did use like a garment bag, one of those mesh bags and would collect, you know, socks in those, which means you always have to be getting a, like, it. it it's kind of a delicate system because you have to be getting enough socks to have in the bag to make it worth washing the bag of mm-hmm. socks. And you have to put them in in pairs. Otherwise they won't come out in pairs, obviously. And we all know how babies and toddlers and hello, teenagers have this habit of like removing one sock and leaving it in a totally random place. And like, you know, the other one ends up in the toy box or under the sofa or something. So right away, like the odds are stacked against you. So that is one method I have tried that kind of worked, but for the most part, I just don't think it's really possible. Um, washing machines, a do eat socks. It is science. The, especially if they are a, I believe top loading the ones okay. with the barrel. So they really um, do like get sucked in behind there? I didn't yeah. know that. So where the drum, like where stuff can like especially if the if the washing machine's overstuffed, mm-hmm. they can actually come up over the side and get lost okay. in the mechanism in the works. Um, I believe they can get stuck in your lint trap. Like there's lots of places that your kid's socks could legitimately get lost. Okay. So that really is happening. But also life eats socks mm-hmm. because kids are just sloppy with their socks. They don't, sometimes kids are really weird. They want to wear like one sock and not the other, or they take them off, but not in the same place. Or like they end up in the, in the, um you know, in the hamper, but only one ends up in this load. And mm-hmm. then the other one ends up the next that falls behind the dryer. When you're taking them out, I don't know. They're just, it's a just a fact of life. The socks, it's just, you're, you're fighting a war. You can't win. So my solution was, let them wear mismatched socks um try warm slippers or like ugg type boots they can pull on and don't necessarily need socks you can try a sock basket that was our yeah i was hoping you were going to bring this yeah. cuz
1: i remember that
0: we just had one basket where literally all socks went and then kids had to come down and we would do a little maintenance like some sock basket grooming i'd go through and remove the ones with holes and throw those out and try to kind of like the ones that were really obviously pairs, I'd pair those up, but that's kind of where all the orphan socks would go. And kids would just kind of come dig out. That kind of made it not my job. It wasn't my responsibility to keep track of socks pairs, but then oftentimes they don't care and they'll just wear mismatched socks. The the problem with that is that then they would sometimes pilfer other
1: kids' socks.
0: And then that kid couldn't make pairs either. So it's not a perfect system, but it worked for me for years. I just really kind of accepted that mismatched and lost socks will be like the bane of my existence for yeah just like it, it was my motherly existence was tainted
1: radical acceptance.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. And, I, and we really only in the last maybe three years went away from the sock basket entirely. And even now there's a pile, um, on a counter in my kitchen, like in the corner where socks, I have not yet paired up, get stashed. And half the time, nobody ever claims them. And I have to walk around the house going, whose socks are these? And like nobody seems to want them because they don't have a match, That's so they're like rejected right off the bat. So I don't know, Sarah. You probably have a, a better action no, system than I you, have. But, no, oh. this one was all you
1: because remember. So I lived for the first six years of motherhood. I lived in Arizona, where you need yeah. socks for seriously like two months max. And even then, if your kids can wear some kind of UGG situation or maybe a sneaker that they don't need socks with, like you really barely wear socks for ever there. And then California is a little cooler and, you know, a little more temperate, I guess. And as my kids got more into elementary school, they would wear socks with sneakers because more because they wore more like athletic shoes that they wanted socks with. So I did not have a good system. The only thing I might add is buying all of the same socks for each kid. So like Mm -hmm. my three year old is going to have all of this one, you know, Hanes from Target or whatever you decide get rid of the rest of their socks, but then make sure that the next kid has a, like a very uh like immediately recognizably different type of sock. If you wanted yes. to go into some kind of a system, um, because it, when you're dealing with piles and piles of laundry, then I think that's just helpful too. Especially if your kids go through a phase where they're similar in size, but not totally the same size. And it's real easy to like, the white and gray look so similar and then you line them up and one is just yes. like 10% bigger than the other that would drive me bonkers cuz i think for some reason it would bug me if one kid was always wearing two small socks the the mismatching yeah, doesn't yep. bother me but like the size mixing so if you're in that situation i would just go to your cheapest sock provider and get a big bag and have one kid have the kind that have the gray toes and the other kids like stripes up the side or whatever, whatever it is, but make them noticeably different. That's the only thing I was going to offer. I think the rest of what you said is great. And mostly it's about radical acceptance. So it it. is
0: and that remind. But your but your comment actually reminded me that for a long time, I'm going to say three or four years, our solution for the three oldest boys was we bought those. I believe they're gold toe. Mm -hmm. There's like they have like a gold stripe and I believe the smallest had one stripe, the next size up had two, and the biggest size had three. And that worked really, really mm. well until the kids' feet were growing at different paces. So it's kind of like hand-me-downs work really, really well when your kids are like stair steps yeah. until one decides to have a growth spurt and no longer fits the stair step or until you know one growing slows down and then they're not passing stuff down. So that, that sock system did work for a while, but you can sometimes find socks that, look very similar so that it's not because it does get kind of confusing. Like if one kid is wearing crew and the other kid's wearing ankle, but they sort of look ish the same, just like you were saying with white and gray being sort of similar. It's like, there has to be some, there has to be something that kid can recognize too. Yep.
1: um, So they can take some. Yeah. So everybody can know, but honestly your sock basket and having kids come claim their own could actually work for so many families. I know you said it wasn't a perfect system, but Think about the way like hats and gloves and other like masks these days, mm-hmm. like at, why not have a communal basket for socks, especially if the kids can recognize their own and put on their own. So I'm thinking you're three to seven year olds, maybe yep. um, who don't care about all their stuff being in their room. And I, I think that's actually a great idea, like a bin or a basket. You never have to fold them or match them. You just throw them in there. And if they know which ones are theirs and they, that could be a great job to give a kid, go get your own socks and put them on your feet. And that is a lot less sorting and matching and laundry for mom. So I like that idea.
0: It wasn't perfect, but it did take almost all the work away from me. And so it worked for a really long time. Yeah. I love it. Well, should we go to the next question? Yeah. Okay. This one comes from Lauren. Um, Lauren says, I would love to hear how you handled competing needs amongst your children where attending to one child's need takes away from the others. For example, today I took my one and three-year-old to an activity. The poor three-year-old who needed an outlet for his energy was having a blast, but the one-year-old was having meltdown after meltdown. I tried all the mom tricks in the book, taking her out, et cetera, et cetera, but she screamed so we had to leave early. And Lauren says, my poor three-year-old was so disappointed and I felt terrible. So, I,
1: I mean, I think this is very common, right, Sarah? Yeah, I mean... I hate to say it this way, but welcome to having more than one child, right? <laughs> like, right. I, I think so much of this is, um, getting used to this feeling of needing to make decisions for the, for the benefit of the family whole or for the benefit of the kid who needs you most in the moment. And it, it can seem very, um, unfair and really like hard as a mom to make those decisions, but it gets easier with time. And I think with a one and three-year-old, those are both difficult ages. We know that one-year-olds make their needs known, but three-year-olds also have, you know, growing needs. And I can see, I can just picture like the three-year-old who really was going to be benefiting from being at a playground or being at some kind of like, you know, like she said, needed an outlet for their energy and having to pack it up and go home before they were ready. Like that is just... Mm kind of quintessential like motherhood of many children. And when you add three, four, five, um, I don't imagine that it ever gets like, I don't think there's a system for this is what I'm trying to say. I don't think there's a system for making sure each kid gets what they need in equal proportion. But I think what you become is a little more confident as a mom that they're going to be okay even if you have to choose one kid over the other in that moment, yeah. you're not choosing one kid right. over the other in your in forever, your, <laughs> forever yeah. or in your love, but you are having to make real time on the spot decisions for the, for the sanity of yourself and the benefit of the whole family, the family unit that will sometimes feel unfair. And what's interesting is I can see that. So my kids are now 12, 10 and seven and, and we're in, you know, month nine of a pandemic. And I can, I could list 15 different ways where I have to kind of like give somebody the short end of the stick because I, either there's not enough of me to go around or family harmony has to take precedence. So I feel like this is a non-answer, but the answer is you're doing a great job and the kids will be all right. And part of being in a multi-kid family over time is understanding that there's always a little bit of a trade-off. And if those trade-offs are done with love and with a general eye toward fairness, um, then I think you're just doing a great job. It's just going to be okay. That was like the most non answer. Megan Help me.
0: No, I think that that was actually the answer. And what came to mind when you were talking, Sarah, you know, that you sometimes have to choose one child the immediate need or whatever it is that the age of that they have, or the need is stronger or whatever. And sometimes you have to choose yourself and mm-hmm. like, you have to choose the path of least resistance for you too. So it's like, there's not just the one-year-old and the three-year-old whose needs are at odds, but it's also mom and maybe dad and maybe like other siblings. I know that we've talked about this before, this tension between parenting for the unit, for the mm-hmm. whole, right. For the family's good and parenting for the one who in that moment seems to have the higher need. And Mm -hmm. I just, it doesn't go away. Um, It looks a little different when they're say 13 and 11 um, Mm -hmm. or 23 and 21 than it does when they're one and three, but it never really goes away. And it's so dependent on the situation. And I really do believe it does all even out in the end. And that doesn't always look like 50, 50 or 30, 33, 33, 33, 33, or however many number of kids you have 25, 25, 25, 25. It doesn't always look that way. It's like every kid gets a hundred percent when, like when you can give it, Mm -hmm. I I don't really know if that makes sense, but they're all getting your best. But sometimes that means you have to make decisions in the moment. And, um, it sometimes takes a long time for that balance to feel like it's starting to even out. And sometimes you can look back, I can look back now and. Realized there were kids that of mine who were just squeakier wheels. Mm-hmm. They just got more grease. They just yeah. did. And there's really not much I can do about it now. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. not, um, I can't judge myself for it. I can't judge the kid for it. I don't think they judge each other for it. It's like personalities and needs and all those things. They just are what they are. So, yeah. you know, choose, choose the, the kid that has the, the more acute need in the moment without feeling bad, but, but choose yourself too. I love
1: that. Um, yeah, I think that's so important. I was going to say if um I, I think anytime we feel in a pattern that feels unhealthy and that could be we've talked a lot about like the pattern might be you're not getting enough time on your own or you're not getting enough time with your spouse. Or in this case, it might be that the one year old is the squeakier wheel and it feels to you like it's like it's a repeated pattern and it feels out of balance. I I don't think it's a bad idea to just kind of brainstorm with your co-parent like you know when the kids are in bed one night and be like you know older kid is just not getting enough um you know enough one-on-one time or enough physical outlet time and then brainstorm ways to build that into your schedule I think you can do that proactively without having it without beating yourself up it's like oh my gosh I've been such a terrible mother like this, that, and the other thing happened. But I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm thinking of almost like you have like quarterly reviews or quarterly parent teacher conferences, like a quarterly check-in where you think, what does, what is this kid's kind of need that maybe isn't being met right now? And I know for my older kids, sometimes it's social and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, my, my 12 year old isn't getting enough opportunities socially right now. What could I do um, to kind of grease that wheel a little bit for her? And that can be done, I think with a lot of compassion for yourself so that it's not It's not about writing the wrong that happened at the playground that one time, but it's more about like, what's, what is the overall, um, social, emotional health of each kid right now? And what, what might we do in the next few months to make sure everybody's needs are getting met? So I think maybe it's a very subtle mindset shift, but I think you can, you can recalibrate, but do it with compassion for yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Love that.
0: This episode is sponsored by Olive and June, and Sarah, I am just so grateful that I have mastered the art of doing my nails at home. When I look down at my cute manicure, I feel a little more pulled together, no matter how crazy life is at the moment. Thankfully, Olive and June's Manny system makes it so easy and affordable to make Manny time a regular part of my weekly routine.
1: Well, I know the feeling, Megan, and I think it's so fun that with Olive and June, you get to customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes, plus their top coat is included. So Katie on our team says that she has lately been layering some of their iridescent colors over their gel-like polishes, and the final result looks super shimmery and pretty. I might have to try that this spring.
0: Yeah, and Olive and June press-ons are another cool option. They look so real, and I think it would be a great way to test out another nail shape. A long almond shape is popular right now, and I'm kind of curious what that would look like on me.
1: Okay, well, keep me posted on that one. Listeners, visit oliveandjune.com slash hour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system. Right. We are back with what is quite possibly the question of the season from Allison. And Allison says, I'm looking for ways to let my kids ages one and a half and six be physical and get out some energy indoors this winter in a small house. It's going to be a long winter. And then the emoji that everyone relates to (sighs) that, like, gritted teeth. Grimace. Yes. Yes. Emoji. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, It's not a frown. It's not a smile. It's just like, like, oh, here we go. uh, Brace yourself. Oh, gosh. Allison, I lived through so many cold, long winters with little kids, and I can't even imagine how long and cold this winter is going to seem because there's nowhere to go. Yeah. You can't even like bundle them up and take them to a play place. So um, I'm going to just say we'll talk about Sarah and I I think both have ideas about um, indoor play, Mm -hmm. but I want to just. Say that if there's any way to get outside, even for a little bit during the day, um, I just think it's worth it. And I know this is me with the uh, the advantage of hindsight, being able to say this. And you might want to punch me in the face because my kids are all older now, when they get their own mittens and gloves and snow pants on and stuff. <laughs> but I've been there um, times five kids times many years, where it was me doing all of it. And there is something even though it's like a pain to put all that stuff and take it or put all that stuff on and take it all off again because they're cold in five minutes, something about the process, like actually does burn energy on their part. It seems so useless to you. Like, you're like, why did I even bother? But there is something about all that, even if they're only outside for like five to 10 minutes that somehow always feel, it always felt like it bought me a little time. Like Mm -hmm. it always felt like it bought me something. Even if it was just they came in cold cheeked and were tired and they just wanted to snuggle up in their PJs for a little while and be quiet. I just always felt like it was worth it even when it didn't seem like it. And Mm -hmm. I also remember days when if it wasn't like frostbite cold, I would actually intentionally bundle them up less because Ah. it would just take less time and they'd go outside and run around for a minute or two and get cold and come back in and then just strip them down and put them in the tub or give them some coke or whatever. And it just felt like they weren't going to be outside for more than 10, 15 minutes anyway. So I kind of felt like I could game the system a little mm-hmm. bit again, as long as it wasn't so bitter cold, they would end up sick or something. I right. mean, I know that's an old wives tale, but you know, like their fingers weren't falling off. Right. You weren't, um, yeah, you
1: weren't putting them in, in peril. You were just um, right, exactly. allowing that was just crisp, a fit. fresh air to, yes. to snap at their cheeks.
0: <laughs> to really <laughs> penetrate, to really just get in those bones. And it was efficient because I knew that it had to be a certain kind of day for the snow pants to even be worth the effort. Right. By the time I put them on, you know, they were like "Ah, coming off again. So, um, yeah. And I know Sarah, you're going to talk about structuring indoor time. I will just say, and I know we've talked about all these things probably before, but some some of the things that we came back to again and again, when my kids were little were, um, those mats that connect like jigsaw puzzles that kids can like tumble and play on. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they have like a car, like roads like sometimes there's like they double as a play mat yep. um and have some kind of a scene on them and sometimes they're just like gymnastics mats um the big blocks that require really a full range of motion to build with like the kindergarten blocks yep. we just talked about those not too long ago yep um the big bricks i think those really burn off steam because they're not just sitting down building something on the ground they're yeah, like using motor. their entire yeah. bodies yeah um crawl through tunnels mm-hmm. those blow up bag toys that you punch and then they pop back up mm-hmm and mini trampolines yeah those are all things I just feel like are classic go-tos and of course now there's a million different incarnations of all those different kinds of things but those are just they're classics for a reason and they if you even have a pretty small space you can still you can even layer those things on top of Mm -hmm. each other like you can have the mini trampoline next to the mat which has the crawl through tunnel on top and then you play with the blocks on top of that so you don't need a ton of space to give your kids some options for that kind of Play. Yes. So that's my advice and pep talk.
1: That is great advice. I was, as you were talking, I was remembering, I think the last time we talked about those specific products was actually one of our first episodes in March of the pandemic. And I just oh my cringe gosh. to think about going back and listening. I think it even has a disclaimer at the beginning because we had no idea how long this was going to last, but we wanted to offer some product suggestions. So I'll link up that episode and the product suggestions are very valid. Still the way we talked about what COVID was going to be COVID, I, I totally invalid is like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just had, it was, I mean, it was recorded like March 16th or 17th. It was, yeah, we had it, no idea what we were getting no, into. It was, it was mid shutdown. Um, but there are some great products. So I will link that up. I'm going to offer two, two things, um, that aren't activities, but just maybe suggestions to open your mind. One is that even in a small house, you may find some creative ways to completely reimagine your space. I am the biggest fan of moving furniture around, even in a home that you're very settled in, um, because it's very easy to move furniture back. We think it's this big permanent thing, um, but let's say that you have a like a, a little playroom or a basement. I don't know anything about your house, but there may be some unused space or some space that could be used for pure kid rumpusing, like just like dance party, um, pillows on the floor. And you may decide for two months to just like push the furniture up against the wall and ima- reimagine that space. And I would encourage anybody who's going to be spending a lot of time indoors this winter to think radically about how you use your space. That could include, for example, um, bunking two kids up and having them share a room just for the winter. So you could create some really great playroom and have all the toys out all the time in the other room. Like all of these decisions can be reversed with a, an hour or two. You're not knocking down walls. You're not like, right. So, right. um, and also I really like rearranging furniture. It's it, like, gets me really re-inspired about my house. So that's number one. Is there a way that you could arrange your home differently just for this winter that would inspire you and also give your kids Either more space or different space to utilize. Um, so that was one idea just to plan. Well, let seat. me jump in on that mm-hmm.
0: really quick because I think there's something really um there's something really energizing about the novelty of mm-hmm. using your space completely yeah. differently. And just keep in mind you're probably not gonna be um entertaining. Right. Exactly. Winter. So really, who cares? Yeah. You could turn your living room into a zoo yeah. for goodness sakes. Like it really, I mean, it doesn't this is the time. And I know I don't want my couch cushions on the floor any more than anybody else, but this is the year. <laughs> yeah. If you're gonna let everything just go, this is the year to do it with yeah. no guilt and no feeling like someone's gonna be looking in and judging. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. continue.
1: Um no, so that was one. And then the other one um kind of reminds me of going back to the beginning of this episode when we talked about screen time. Um, and that is that Um, as a mom, knowing what to expect in the day ahead, those winter days can feel so long. And for me, they were actually Arizona summer days, but same thing, we couldn't go outside and we didn't have anywhere to travel and nobody was in town. And it was very isolating to have little kids during an Arizona summer. So I think as a mom of a one and a half and six year old, I would really try to give myself a, schedule sounds so harsh and so rigid, but give myself some rituals and some touch points in the day that I knew I could, um, stick with, and that would bring me a little bit of joy. And then layer on top of that, the kids need for being wild and, and having, um, having a dance party inside or doing that, put the snow pants on and go outside. So every time we talk about calendar planning and, um, time blocking, Megan, we talk about like putting the rocks, the rocks in your schedule first. So the rocks are the non-negotiables and maybe for that big ones. Yeah. The big ones. So the one and a half year old probably has a nap, So that's a rock, right? That you know what's going to happen after lunch every day. Um, Maybe, like, maybe they get some screen time. Maybe they get their show at 4 o'clock, and that's a rock because they can expect it every day, and you can expect it. Um, And then maybe you kind of, like sketch in there what to do each each day for that physical activity. And I know every time I talk about this it sounds like I'm being really scheduley and and rigid, but really as when you wake up as a mom and you have this unending winter stretched in front of you, for me it's much more of a relief to know what what I'm going to do each day and it's motivating. If you're having a blah day, and you know, like, yep, today's the day we said we were going to watch one of those like kid yoga videos together. So it's time for that. Let's do it. It, just, it gives you something to kind of anchor to when time has no meaning. So that's the other thing I'd offer. Right. Re- rearrange your furniture and put yourself on some kind of a feel good rhythm or schedule that you feel like that, that you feel like supports you, not that ties you to anything you don't want to do.
0: Oh, love it. And I hope that has been helpful. Yeah. So this next one is, um, this is a big question and I know this is something both, um, Sarah, you and I have gone through, although it's been more recent with you. So I'll read Sylvia's question. She says, recently we lost my father-in-law. This is one of the first deaths we've been through as a family and it's shaken us as parents. Our girls have seen a lot lately, their parents at their worst, their parents crying and losing their dear grandpa, whom they were so close with. It has brought up a lot of questions for my three and seven-year-old, particularly my three-year-old who is scared every time we leave her that we will die. I wonder if you have any experience with this or just ways to have tough conversations with kids about death and dying.
1: Um, so Sylvia, we're so sorry for your loss. Um, I wanted to answer this question because as I read it, I was struck with how similar my kids' ages were when we lost my father-in-law. So it just on paper, um, it just reminded me a lot of, uh, our situation, which has been four it'll be five years in March. So for over four years, um, when my husband's father passed away and, um, I am going to leave the, how to talk to young kids about death and dying to a couple of links that I'll drop in the show notes. I think there are some great books and resources on that. Um, but I, I don't feel quite equipped to like give you scripts or exactly what to say, but just that, um, that this is something that in the, in the end will probably be a, a real healthy thing for your family to process together. And I'm sorry, it's the first time and I've been there. Um, but I think it's okay that your kids have seen their parents cry. I think it's okay for kids to experience death of a loved one, um, especially if they're given space to kind of understand it and talk about it as a family. So I think you're doing a great job and, and there's nothing you need to do differently than what you're doing right now. But I can validate just how hard that was. So my kids were three, five and seven, I think. So her kids are three and seven. Mine were three, five and seven um, when Mike passed away. And, you know, Brian had to fly across the country in the middle of the night. They didn't get to say goodbye to, you know, their dad didn't understand why he had left. And then I will never forget the morning that they came downstairs and I had to tell each of them individually that he had Mm -hmm. passed. It was really, really hard. Um, but like I said, I think you're doing the right thing by allowing them to, to grieve and mourn with you and, um, allowing them to be sad and ask their own questions. Um, so I mostly just wanted to, to kind of talk about this question because you're not alone and you're doing a great job. And I will link up some specific more of the, like, what would the psychologist say resources in the show notes, but. Just know that their questions are natural and normal. And however you answer them is, is okay. You're doing a great job.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been through, um, several family deaths with small kids and I just second everything Sarah said, like what they're seeing is natural and normal and Mm -hmm. it's part of the process and better than if you were trying to like lock it away from them, I think, or, and we all shelter our kids to some degree. Yeah. There is something they're learning from watching you and, and they're learning that this is really hard for you and that you're and that you're human um, and that you have emotions and that you grieve. And um, those are just all those are just all really normal things. So we're really sorry. Um, and I agree that, like, I, I'd love for the actual experts to talk about how to answer those questions um, about how to talk with kids about death, because it's it's one of those things that's like surprisingly simple yet really, really hard but but simpler than you think.
1: It's, <laughs> it's very tied to your faith tradition as well. And so it's yeah. really going to depend on what you, what you believe about what happens when we die um, in terms of reassuring your your three-year-old, a three-year-old is pretty young. Um, and I think you can continue to reassure that mommy and daddy will be back. Um, I've always tried to hesitate to not say mommy and daddy are never going to die. Cause that's of course not true, but you can pretty safely reassure your three-year-old that mommy and daddy are coming back in one hour. Um, you don't right. need to worry about us dying today. That's not something you need to worry about. And we'll give you some more language, um, in the show notes. I thought, I thought I would share too, that five years later, um, we just talk about my father-in-law all the time. Like we still talk about him. He was a huge larger than life personality. Um so there's so many stories about him and um he's just very much a part of our family culture. Um we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving and he was like the sh- the chef in the family and loved food and loved talking about food and so um, if it gives you any something to look forward to, you know, my older two kids who were five and seven, they have real memories of spending time with Papa. Violet, who was three, and she was a new three, actually. She had just turned three, so it's just pretty young. Um, she I think has kind of fuzzy memories, but lots of uh pictures, like actual photos that we've taken. Um, and and just like has absorbed the stories about him. So I think it's a I mean, you have a huge opportunity to continue to keep him part of your family storytelling and family culture. And just what a way to honor, honor anybody's legacy is to keep them front of mind, keep them, and not in a sad way, um, but just like he is very much a presence in our lives. If that, if that helps you think about what things might be like in five years. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, okay. So final question, and this one comes from Katie. So she says, what were some of your kids' favorite holiday gifts or toys in the toddler slash elementary slash preteen slash teen years? That is all of the years, (laughs) all of the years. And then I think the second part, which is probably what we're going to talk more about is did any of your kids ask for the weirdest stuff? For example, her sister once asked for a bag of candy and a child-sized rocking chair randomly. I know that
0: sounds like an amazing gift. I want that.
1: I know, right? (laughs) So Megan, I don't know if you want to start with this one. First of all, in terms of the question, what were our kids' favorite holiday gifts in every age and stage of their lives? I don't think we have time for that today. And we've done gift guide episodes in the past, but I do like thinking about what are some of the more random things our kids have asked for? Yeah.
0: So I could just have a couple that I remember. And this is one of those, what I bet you, you know, in an hour, I'm going to remember 17 more, but, um, I remember this period and this would have been like when my oldest were like eight and 10 ish, something like that. Like maybe like in the eight to 12 range, um, they all started getting obsessed with the as seen on TV stuff. Mm -hmm. So the, the things, and you know, they, those things get sold year after year after year. So they never, they don't go away. Um, I definitely remember the chocolate fountain. Oh yeah. Huge (laughs) on the list and, um, tap lights I thought was very interesting, you know, they're just lights. Yeah. you, and just, you, tap you just tap them up. and they they're turn on. They're like little on.
1: circle, like little discs. Yeah, they're like of? little circle lights. Yeah. And I
0: remember the as the commercial or the infomercial would have them like lining someone's driveway. Right. Yes. Or they'd have them like as a night, instead of a nightlight. Mm-hmm. So you go in the bathroom and there's a tap light and you just turn it on. <laughs> and I remember always being like, what, you guys want lights? I mean, and they're <laughs> little. Like, that sounds fun to you. Um, then as that time went on, the littler kids started asking for stuff that was even more like even more improbable, like the Wow, And I kind of, ex- I kind of started to think that maybe the older kids were like putting the younger ones up mm, to it mm-hmm. and, and telling them to put it on their list because they wanted it. But I don't know. I'd, I don't remember if my kids got literally any of those things. I, I think actually William might've gotten a tap light when he was like four. <laughs> just, I never got the chocolate fountain. That just looked like a disaster waiting to happen. Um, and I'm sure there were more of those, but that was probably the weirdest thing. Other than that, like I can't think of anything super weird. It was just like a series of weird things that weren't really kid appropriate in right. any way.
1: Well, as seen yeah. on TV, it's pretty good marketing. I mean, they have pretty, they have, yeah. they, they've got their commercials down. So that's really funny. Um, so one very random thing that two out of my three kids did this, and that was when they were about three or four years old. They all had their loveys, like their little blankies, and they were all those kind that you see a lot nowadays where it's like a little animal head, but the rest is kind of like a square blanket, you know? Um, and two out of my three kids decided to ask Santa for a very specific replacement lovey, like either one that they'd lost or that was loved in the same, like unique manner, which is sort of very difficult for Santa to deliver on because a well-worn lovey is a well-worn lovey for a reason. Like it's not, um, the elves can't make that. It is made that way by the child who loves it. So I know with Allegra in particular, she used to wear the corners. She called the corners hands because it was like the little lamb had these little folded corner hands. And she wanted I think she wanted a night night with this like with no hands or something. It had something to do with the way she had worn down her first lovey. She wanted another one just like that. And so Santa had to do his best to procure an identical lovey, which is hard enough in and of itself. But then Santa had to leave a note saying, you know, part of why your lovey got this way is because you loved it. So it's not going to look exactly the same. And then another of my kids asked for, it was a different situation, but in both cases they were asking Santa to produce basically the impossible, which was like a Mm. lovey that was exactly like the one that either they had or they had lost or whatever. So that was challenging for Santa. Um, that came to mind. Um, And then one gift that um, I I just feel like I want to talk about this gift because I feel really proud of it. But this was last year. And Violet, so two years ago, Violet asked for a guitar, an electric guitar. And Megan, I'm sure some of your kids have done the thing where they ask for something that you know they're not going to actually want or use. like Right, yes. And it is hard, actually, to decide. Like, I've definitely had kids put things on their list that they think they want, but I know that they're not really going to use. And so sometimes I go through with it. Sometimes I don't. Um, Violet did end up getting an electric guitar that year. She has not played it very much, but it's still a good instrument and our family still has it. Somebody will play it at some point, but last year, um, she really loves to write poems and songs. So I got her a lock box, like, um, a simple, like a bank, you know, like a cashier's box that has a little lock on it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I took there. This one didn't have a cash tray, or I took out the cash tray. So it's basically like a big black box with a lock and key. I bought a really pretty keychain for the key, and in it I put nice pens and journals and um, a little recording, a little um, recording device like where like a little dictaphone basically where you can record yourself. So I built her a songwriting kit that she could lock up because she's very private when she writes songs and poems. She doesn't want anybody to read them. Um, and it was just a cute way to like take something she was into and assemble a more, like a less a less mass-produced store-bought gift right. and more of like, here's yeah. your little kit. And I think you could do that with arts and crafts. You could do that with, you know, anything that a kid is into. And she still gets out her lockbox and has her little songwriting journals. And anyway, so that, I just I just wanted to mention that one because I was kind of proud of it. I love that. And it actually
0: reminds me of Clara's birthday last year, which was on the day that everyone decided to, not go out anymore because mm-hmm. it was on the day school shut down um and the governor decided to shut down restaurants and stuff like so it was like getting really real yeah and i i think the week had been so weird i hadn't done any birthday shopping for clara um and i was just intending to like run out to a big store and get her some stuff and then i felt really weird doing that remember how like it was suddenly went from life was kind of normal to like am i allowed to leave my house yeah feeling yeah. and like we hadn't been told to stay in place yet but it. It just felt really strange. So I went to CVS and I got her like a cute little box. I don't even remember what it was now. And I just filled it with, you know, she was turning 11. So I filled it with um, like skincare, lip balms and masks. And it was became like her little beauty kit. And oh, I, I love that. assembled it, it you know, for like, at, like 15 minutes right. at CVS. And she loved it. Yeah. It was as though I had basically, it was like I'd gone to Sephora or something. Mm-hmm. And it was just... You know, just whatever they had. So sometimes like grouping like with like yes. and making like a little like a little prize box out of it, especially for kids of a certain age, I just think has so much like so much power. Yeah. There's something really special feeling about that.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think yeah, I think that could work. I think beauty or um, dress up type stuff. Oh, a dress up like mm-hmm. another a dress up kit with like purse, old purses and scarves and hats for yep. kids into dress up. That would be another one where you could assemble it yourself. But really the lasting power of that, like the amount of time they'll play with it and having mm-hmm. your own box of something or chest full of something is just very special as a kid. So I love that. Yeah,
0: we still like that as a grown-ups. Yeah. So that's true.
1: That's yeah. true. We yeah. we subscribe to, to get things like we that in the mail. Them. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. Um, well, this was really fun. Thanks to everybody who left those um questions on our Instagram. It's fun to see the different kinds of questions we get when we post the call for questions there. Um, you can always email us your questions. We're hello at the dot com. That's probably the safest bet for getting your questions in because Instagram um DMs and comments have a way of getting lost, but we will be doing this again in another three months or so ish. And we always um, we, we keep all your questions as you send them in. So don't hesitate to send us an email with a question and we'll take a look and consider it for next time.
0: Yeah. And then later this week, we've got a voices interview coming up and a more than mom episode on Sunday. So you've got an episode packed week to enjoy. Hope you enjoy that. And we'll talk to you
1: soon. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code Hour 20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%. Hey, everyone, we have a favor to ask. If you are an Apple Podcasts user, can you check really quickly to make sure you're still following the Mom Hour? Apple did one of their big software updates recently, and it changed a bunch of things about how you get the podcasts you're subscribed to.
0: If Apple Podcasts is your podcast app of choice, all you have to do is find your way to our show page, And then click the little plus sign or follow in the top right corner. Thanks so much.